You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning. Happy Labor Day weekend for all of you who came out on this fine Sunday. Uh, I just want to stop and say thank you to all the volunteers, worship team, kids, ministry, student ministry. Can we just stop and say thank you to all of them? Yeah. It's uh, usually, for most churches, top one or two lowest attended Sundays of the year along with Memorial Day. And so it's always like a little bit of a struggle to try to get people like, hey, are you in town? Are you available? And so I'm just always thankful when people show up for this. It dawned on me as it was in my office this morning, looking out over the parking lot and just seeing cars come in for the 9 a.m. service. And it just dawned on me like, you, you all are choosing to come today to worship God, to hear from him. And um, that weight, I feel that and I appreciate that and I value that. And I just thank you so much. And I'm praying today that you're gonna be blessed. So for those of you visiting with us, either at home right now, at home online, or perhaps here in this room, what we like to do is open up God's word and just see what God has to say to us. And uh, we believe that God spoke to us years ago uh, through many uh, apostles and prophets and spoke that through the Bible, what we call the Bible. And so we just want to open it up and see what God has for us today. So before we get into this new series called Leverage, there's a TV show called Leverage. And uh, I'm just curious if you would just raise your hand, how many of you have actually heard of the TV show Leverage? How many of you actually watch the TV show called Leverage? Okay, I did a little straw man's poll earlier this morning, and uh, one person had seen it, and then after the last service, another one came up to me. So there's more in this service, but there's a new version of it that just came out. Uh, that's a really bad pick, but there's a new version of Leverage that just came out this year. Uh, they just remade the show after like an eight-year hiatus, and I just want you to know, this series has nothing to do with that. So in the TV show, these people go around, they all have a different skill set. One guy's a bruiser, another guy uh, is a hacker, another person is uh, like a theft, a thief, a theft, I don't think that's a word. They, um, and so what they do is they basically are like the modern day Robin Hood. They go take evil people who've done injustices to people, they steal from them, set them up, send them to jail, make their lives miserable, then give that money away to help the people that they hosed along the way. And uh, that's not at all what we're using the sense of leverage. The word leverage literally means to use something to its maximum advantage. And that's a really generic definition, but the reason you can lift a really heavy rock is because you take a piece of wood and jam it under there and then jam a rock under that piece of wood and now you have leverage because you've used something to its maximum advantage. And we want to use that concept throughout this series to talk about how God has placed your life and things in your life to be used for their maximum advantage. So we're going to get right into it today in a story in Luke chapter 12. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it. If you use a digital Bible, grab there. I'm in the NIV. If you don't know how to use a Bible, you didn't bring a Bible, you can just watch the screen up here. All of this will be on the screen, but I wanted to give you a minute. In Luke chapter 12, what we're gonna see is Jesus is doing a bunch of teaching. Just read Luke 11 in the beginning of Luke 12 and you'll see this. He's teaching and he's actually kind of rebuking the Pharisees and just having this conversation. And all of a sudden, this guy interrupts him. And that's what we're gonna read right now. And then Jesus has a conversation with a guy and everybody listening after the guy interrupts him. Let's take a look, ready? Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, now remember Jesus just speaking publicly, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, part of what's going on here is back in Jesus' day, there was something called a double inheritance. So the, the, the simplest way to do this is simple math. Let's just take two brothers. The oldest brother would have got a double portion of the inheritance. So the inheritance would have been split into thirds, 
the oldest brother would have got two-thirds, the youngest brother would have got one-third. Now, along with that came some responsibilities to manage the family. He basically became the patriarch of the family, whatever it is, after the fact. Without going into all that, that's probably what's happening here. Dad has passed, and now the brother, no, I don't know how many brothers there are, is having some issues, and this one guy says, tell my brother to split the inheritance. Maybe the older brother kept it all. Maybe the younger brother felt he was worth more than just one-third. I don't know exactly, nobody knows exactly what was happening here, but Jesus' response is he puts a little boundary in place like, no, I'm not going to do that just because you asked me. Who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? But then he goes on and he says this profound phrase. You ready? Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Any Bluey fans in here? Right, like five of you know what Bluey is. You need to Google Bluey later. And if you have kids, show it to them. And if you don't, this is one of those shows that's written for kids and adults will enjoy it. And there's an episode of Bluey. It's about a family of dogs. I mean, come on, it's a great show already. And one day, it's dad's day to take the kids. And dad takes the kids. And here's all I can remember from the episode is the kids keep going, dad, 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 dad. Dad, dad, can I have this? Dad, can you get that? Dad, can you grab this? Dad, can you get that? Has anybody who's ever had kids know exactly what I'm talking about? The other day, last night, my wife is talking to one of my sons, and the other son opens up the fridge. He wants something out of the fridge, and he goes, mom, 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 mom. Now, I'm in the middle between mom over here and son over here, and finally, after about the fifth one, I'm like, Stop. Your mom is talking to your brother. You can shut the refrigerator door and go over there and get her attention gently and ask if she can help you or I can help you. He's like, I don't want you. Okay, fine. <laughs> and so then he tries to be real sweet, holding the door open still. And he goes, excuse me, mom. Like, that is not what I said. That is what is happening here. And parents, you ought to take a lesson from Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. No, this is not my job. This is your job. But then he goes on and he preaches a sermon. And if you ever want to get your kids to stop asking you for things, try this. Just after every time they ask you for something, say no and then preach a sermon. They'll quit asking you for stuff. Trust me, it works. All right, but here's the bigger point, all right? Nice little side trap, side road there, right? Here's the bigger point. Jesus is worried about the listeners. And Jesus is worried about us. And I know this because we've been doing some fall cleaning because we didn't have time for it in the spring. And we are looking at the amount of stuff that accumulates in our home with three little kids. And it is astounding, isn't it? And it's not really like all our fault. I mean, three kids plus Christmas plus birthdays plus trips to family plus aunts and uncles and cousins and nephews and grandparents who love them plus parents who love them. I mean, plus some of you who get rid of your junk and give it to us and love them. I mean, it's like, it is not hard for us to accumulate stuff. But the problem isn't just the accumulation, the abundance of possessions. The problem is the heart behind it. The word for greed here, if you look at various translations, actually is the word covet. And that's an important biblical word. If you remember your 10 commandments, thou shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. Because covet isn't just about possession. Covet is about desire. Covet has to do with the fact that I want more. I don't have enough. 
And so it doesn't matter if it's purses or shoes or clothes or golf clubs. If I want more than what I have, there's something in my heart driving that. And Jesus says, be careful, be careful. There was a point where um, I would take my, uh, one of my sons to school and I had another little one with me and in order to stall, because in my mind, it was like, you know what? It's harder to go home, get him out of the car, transition, da 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 and then get him back in the car and go back to the school. He's not there very long, so I'll just putz around. And it was a great excuse for me to just go play with free toys at the store. And so I take my son, we go play with free toys, but it just turned out like I would start buying him one little Thomas mini train. They're like a dollar, not that much. But when you do that once a week, every week, you start to accumulate a lot of little mini Thomas trains. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But then what happens is not just that you accumulate them. I unintentionally taught my son that every time we went to the store, guess what he needed? Another one. Because what he had wasn't enough. He's still playing with the one from last week. And by playing with, I mean it's in a box somewhere under a bed or something. But he needs more. And he needs more. And he needs more. And the phrase here for watch out, actually in some translations says beware. And the reason it has an exclamation point is because that's the kind of emphasis that Jesus gives it. This isn't just, oh yeah, you better, better be careful. It's like, you do not understand. This perspective of life will destroy you if you're not careful. To hammer home the point, Jesus goes on. It says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now let's just camp out on this for a minute before we go in to look at what he did. So first of all, if you're a farmer, there was a lot of work that goes into that, right? You got to buy the land. You got to work the land. You got to till the land. You got to put your lines in, put your seeds in. You got to cover it up. You've got to constantly care for, watch out. You got to harvest it. I mean, there's a lot of work involved. But you, have you ever noticed how much goes into farming that has absolutely nothing to do with the farmer? Can the farmer control a locust swarm? No. Can the farmer control how much rain comes? Whether it's too much or not enough? No. Can the farmer control a blight or some disease that lands on his crops? So while hard work goes into the uh, produce, hard work goes into what he makes off of it all, it's also there's so much that is outside of his control. And what if, what if all you have didn't just come from hard work and luck also? What if your hard work combined with God's hard work is what has actually led you to the place where you are right now. Do you see that? See, it's very tempting in America to think to yourself, well, I'm the one who's putting in 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 hour weeks. Therefore, I'm the one who deserves all that I have. But what if some of it was the fact that God positioned you in that job. He connected you with those resources. He got you to that school. He carried you through your grades. He gave you your parental influence, good, bad, or otherwise. He brought those mentors into your life. What if it was him behind the scenes pulling a whole number of strings that you've not yet even seen, but on the last day, you'll stand before him and go, oh my goodness, I didn't thank you enough. 
What if he has a bigger part in it than we ever fathomed? That's exactly what Jesus is trying to get to with this illustration. It's not just luck and it's not just hard work. Let's go back to the story for a minute. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. So his grandiose plan is, I have too much, so much so that I can't even fit it in my current barn. So rather than ask the question, what does God want me to do with all my extra? I'm just gonna tear down what I have, build bigger. Now the word for barn here is not a one-to-one correlation to the way we think of barns today. This would be something along the lines of a barn silo kind of thing. We really don't do the exact same things today that they did back then. But this is somewhere where the storehouses would have been kept up. That's the idea here. The barn where they kept the wheats or whatever it was that they grew. And so it's kind of a barn and it's also kind of a storehouse. The two go together. I asked, I reached out to my friend, Bobby Williams, great man. I love him to death. I think he's in this service. Uh, Bobby will sneak up behind me, by the way. We are such good friends. And he will wait until I'm having an important conversation with somebody visiting for the first time. And he will plant a big kiss on my cheek. And that is as weird to me as it is to all of you. And that Bobby, then he'll just go, I love you so much, man. Great job today. You have a great day, man. Go get it. And I crazy love Bobby Williams. And he's sitting here right now going, I can't believe you told people that. Well, this is my payback because I don't know how else to get you back, Bobby. But Bobby works at BGW, a construction company in Plainfield. They do phenomenal work. I crazy love this man. And Bobby, I reached out to him and I said, Bobby, you tear down old barns. That's what you do. You take the wood, then you go into people's homes and you renovate and use that wood in there and you create these cool looks for people. What would it cost if I were gonna tear down a barn today and rebuild it? And give me ballpark, because we're not talking actual measurements and where's the land and what are, what are we using, right? But give me a ballpark. And he said it would cost about $250,000 to $350,000 to do that today. So just to give you an idea of what we're talking about financially, and this is all part of Jesus' story of when this man gets extra, his idea is, I'm going to keep it all for myself. Because greed, covetousness, tempts us to view our surplus as from us and for us. So just pause for a second, ask yourself a question, just evaluation, you, it's just you. The last time you got more, did you keep it all? Maybe you had a a settlement from some sort of lawsuit. Maybe you sold something and made money. Maybe you got a raise or a second job or an inheritance. The last time you got something, did you keep it all for you? Let's go back to the story. Luke 12, verse 19. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, in just a moment, we're not going to get there yet. In just a moment, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's borrowing from Ecclesiastes and he's bringing it into the story. I just want to tell you, if you aren't sure about Jesus, Jesus is the master storyteller. He is so good. He can tie things together in ways that unless you ask the next question, you'll miss it completely. But this phrase right here, eat, drink, and be merry, is used over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's what I like to call a hyperlink. 
You know what hyperlink is? If you go to a document or go on the website, go on the internet somewhere and you're reading something and it's underlined, you click it and it takes you to another thing. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's dropping this in the middle of this conversation so that his Hebrew listeners who know the book of Ecclesiastes perfectly, that their minds will go to that book and they'll be able to apply all the wisdom wrapped up in there into what Jesus is saying in this very story. Now we'll get there in a moment, but what you can see here is this man's entire perspective changed when he got more. And actually, more made him lazy. It didn't just make him greedy, it made him lazy. If you were here with us at all for the last month, if you weren't, this will make more sense if you go back and listen to any of the sermons in that series. We believe that none of your lives are an accident. We believe that God has placed you here for a reason and for a purpose. So now, if you have too much and you get a greedy heart, what Jesus is kind of hyperlinking here for us is that you will be tempted to pull out of your purpose in the world and stop partnering with God and what God is doing in the world. If what you bring into the world is a blessing to the world and then you stop bringing that into the world, what does that mean for the world? It's gonna miss all of you being a blessing. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Let's just stop there for a second. I went and read some commentaries on this passage. Like what exactly are we talking about here? And at least one of the commentaries, actually I think there was two of them, suggested something I had never considered. And so I'm gonna throw it out there for you to consider and I'm just gonna tell you openly, I don't know. I don't know. But here it is. First of all, the word fool, again, is commonly used throughout the wisdom um, writings, things like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. We see the concept of fool. A fool is somebody who says in their heart, there is no God. So to be a fool means to live your life in a way that is directly opposed to what God is doing in this world and in you. It's to harden your heart that even when you hear the voice of God, whether even like perhaps right now or in the middle of a song or a teaching or even from your spouse, and you harden your heart and you say, even though I know what you're saying is right, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want, what makes me happy when I want. And Jesus uses this phrase intentionally to take you back to all those wisdom writings like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But this part right here is the part that baffles me a little bit because, again, a couple of commentaries I read said, it's possible that what Jesus is saying and telling the story this way is that God is literally going to take that person right out of the world. And I'd never really considered that what if God actually brings justice to the world by instituting death into an evil person's life? And I'd never considered that, and I still don't know what to do with that. Because the rest of scripture seems to say it's a much more complex and nuanced answer. And that's not the point of the sermon, but I want to hammer this home for a second because it is important. At one point, Jesus is approached and there was a tower that falls over it. It was in Luke, and I'm trying to remember which chapter it's in, but a tower falls over and some people die. And they say to Jesus, so what about those people? Were they evil? And Jesus's answer is, well, they're no more evil than anybody else. Bad things happen in this life, and something bad might happen to you too, so get right with God. So then Jesus comes along and tells a story like this, and it sure sounds like God is the one demanding the fool's life. And what I could say is, when I look at the world, I see plenty of greedy people that God has not demanded their life. I don't know what to do with that. 
I love the show Shark Tank. Does anybody here love the show Shark Tank? Yes. And uh, I was talking to my dad about it while visiting, and uh, he said he hates the show. I was like, why, Dad? You're a businessman. Why, wouldn't, why don't you love the show? He's like, because all the guys with all the money, they just want to rip off all the guys without the money. And I was like, I don't really see the show that way. So I'm watching it with my kids, and my kids are starting to get into the show, and they're asking me about, like, what's a stake, and what are all these business principles? And I'm, like, trying to talk to them, and it's also way over their head, and they don't care, but they're fascinated by the show. And so we're watching it, we're talking about it. And then I decided yesterday, yesterday, to go back and show them an older episode. And we went back and watched an older episode, and as I'm watching it, in the first season, the sharks, they call it Shark Tank because they really are circling the water, looking for blood. And they really are, like, the way the show has progressed over the last eight years, what you're watching today is not the same as it was when it began. And I totally forgot about that. The sharks back then really were just trying to take businesses away from people and give them a little bit of money in return. And they're going to go make millions on it and give them a little bit. And one of the guys on the show, and I don't really think about him, he could be the nicest guy in the world. He's nicknamed himself Mr. Wonderful, if you've ever watched the show. He has said many, many times on the show, all he cares about is money. Money is not just something. Money is everything to him. And the reason I say that is I don't know anything about Mr. Wonderful. I don't know anything about his heart. I don't know if he's greedy or not. But the way that he talks, it sure sounds like he loves money, and yet he's still here. It's not like God has taken him off the earth. So what am I to do with this? Well, the very first thing I think I'm to do with this is to put things in perspective. There is a power above every power on earth. Even the President of the United States of America, and that power, his name is God. And ultimately, all things fall under his authority, in his control, in his sovereign rule. And so, therefore, God has the ability to demand a person's life right now, or he has the ability to be merciful and patient and to wait years or decades for it to take place. But one day, all of us will stand before God on our last breath and we'll give an account for our life. What did we do with all that he gave us? Our time, our talent, our treasure? What did we do with all that he gave us? Were we accountable and responsible with what he gave us? Now, for those who are in Christ, we want to hear one beautiful phrase. Well done, good and faithful servant. But there is a passage that's been eating at me, and, and I may get to this in our series coming up, uh, Asking for a Friend, depending on which question you ask for, if you guys ask about like, what happens when I die. But there's this passage of 1 Corinthians 3, and it seems to hint that some of us will actually make it into heaven, passing through the flames, but with sorrow. And if you read the passage itself, it's fascinating. I don't 100% know what to do with it, honestly. But it sure sounds like some of us are going to make it into heaven. So that day of judgment isn't going to prevent us from going into heaven. But when we get there, we're going to look back and have great sorrow over the way we lived our life here. And I'm like, you can have sorrow in heaven? Apparently, at least for a moment, when you realize what could have been. And see, as your pastor and as your friend and as somebody who cares about you and loves you and has been here now 12 years. I just celebrated 12 years. This is my 12th year today. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you. I, I love you, and I don't want that to be you. I don't want you to get to that day and have any sorrow, any regret whatsoever. So, verse 21. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Let that sink in for a minute. Again, this is how it will be 
For whoever is rich towards themselves, but not rich toward God. Because generosity is the antidote to greed. The way to deal with greed in your own life, in your own family, in your own kids, in your own heart, is to plan on being generous. The more excess you have, the easier it is to spend on yourself. And you'll keep replacing your golf clubs and replacing your shoes and replacing your purses, and none of that is evil. None of that is evil. But watch out. Beware. Because it's so easy to do. So I want to take you to the book of Ecclesiastes because I think the way that Solomon deals with this, and then you're going to see a little bit why I believe Jesus is hyperlinking all this. You're going to see just some, and just like five verses, we're going to go, whatever, six verses here. You're going to see just tons. But go read the whole book. You'll see Jesus is pulling all this wisdom into one small story. But take a look. Ecclesiastes chapter two gives us a little bit more insight. Solomon writes this. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction. Sound familiar? In their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, that's God, who can eat or find enjoyment? Do you get the whole farming analogy? Again, the whole thing is you may work hard, but if the rain doesn't come and the sun don't shine and the locusts come and eat it all, it won't matter. So it's you partnering with God that allows us to find enjoyment. Go to the next section, verse 26 here. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner... He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Do me a favor real quick. Ready? Everybody get your hands out like this. Ready? As best you can. We're going to grab the wind on three. One, (laughs) two, three. Now go ahead and open it and see what you got. How'd you do? I had a dog in Colorado at one point. She came with us briefly. She loved to chase the wind. And she would bark at the wind. And she would like have this fun, playful relationship with the wind. And we loved to laugh at her. She was never going to catch the wind. But it was really funny to watch her. She literally ran sideways, but that's another story. To watch her run sideways and bark at the wind. But we'd also think to ourselves, this is meaningless. By the way, that's the whole running theme of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is the wisest man ever to live apart from Jesus. He is wealthy, perhaps beyond anybody we know today. It's hard to say, like, where would he compare to Jeff Bezos? He's by far the wealthiest king of Israel, uh, just accumulated tons of wealth. He writes all about this. He's got a thousand women in his life. He's got, like, I think it's 700 wives, a 300 concubine. I might have it confused. I always get it backwards. Um, he's got vineyards, and he's got servants, and he's got armies, you name it, clothing. He's got everything. And yet he writes this book that says it's meaningless. All of it's meaningless. I've got more than anybody and it's all meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. You know why? Because the moment that you get it, where does it go? It's gone. You ever get a new outfit and you put it on and you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I make this look good. <laughs> the second time I wore this shirt, First time I wore this shirt, my wife looked at me and she goes, mm. you look good. In fact, I saw her this morning. She didn't know I put it on. She's coming up the ramp. She saw me. She goes, I like that shirt. I was like, I know. I was talking about that in the sermon today. <laughs> I like this shirt. Now, I didn't like it until I heard her go, mm. I was like, that's a nice shirt. That's a really nice shirt. <laughs> but I'm going to wear it five or six or 10 or 15 times, and every time she sees me, it's going to get a little less, isn't it? A little, little less, mm. A little less, yeah, I've seen it now. And so what am I going to need? I need a new mm. 
And it's not my wife's fault. It's the world we live in. It's a chasing after the wind. And it could be your haircut. It could be your car. It could be your house. Whatever it is, it's a chasing after the wind. It will never do for you what you want it to do. It wasn't built to do that. So enjoy your, mm, have your moment. There's nothing wrong with a new shirt, right? But just realize, realize that all of it is a gift from the Lord. All right, with our just few remaining moments here today, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Like, what does that actually mean? I'm gonna try to put some handles on this for you um, in just a few minutes. So for the slide person upstairs, I'm looking at the clock going, I'm gonna cut just that little quote there. I'm gonna cut all that just for time's sake. What I do wanna do is I wanna read something to you I went back through Luke 12, and I pulled this out. I don't have this on the screen for you, so just listen for a moment. Here is what I have. I want you to listen. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I will store my surplus. I'll say to myself, hey, you have plenty of grain. Take your life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you hear something consistent there? I, me, my, right? If you want to be rich toward God, the first thing you have to do is you've got to start putting God things above greed things. Put God things above greed things. So instead of asking the question, me and my, how do I get more? How do I do more? How do I have more? How do I experience more? Start wrestling with the question like, God, if I actually viewed what I have is ours and yours to direct, like, what, what would I do different? That actually leads to my second thing. I want you to see all you have as God's to direct as he desires. Does that make sense? Let me give an illustration, and um, it's just a personal one. I may have even said this in a sermon, so forgive me. As I get older, I repeat myself. But anyway, so about this time or so last year, I felt like God started to tell me, he gave me this really big, grandiose idea. I want you to underwrite a vacation for a missionary friend of yours. I knew that they were supposed to take a furlough last year. They didn't get to do it. And so I knew they were going to try to do it this year. They didn't get to because of COVID. Now, my friend, he's a missionary, a very difficult, very trying situation, have special needs, uh, very special needs son, and another kid with some special stuff going on. And it's just tough. It's just hard in a lot of ways. And so I felt like God told me to do that. And for two months, I wrestled with him. Like, God, I don't know how I could do that. I literally can't afford to send a family a five on vacation. I don't have those resources. So I didn't even really talk to my wife about it for about 60 days or so. But God wouldn't let it go. One of the ways that I know God wants me to do something, he won't let me let it go. Like, I'll move on, and if I move on, I was like, okay, it was probably something I ate that day. But when he keeps bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up, bringing my prayer time, my song time, I just, this thought won't leave my head. I kind of know God's up to something. I need to follow through. So I finally went to my wife, and I had already dumbed it down from like this big grandiose thing down to like this smaller number that I felt like was attainable and I could control. And I was like, okay, God, I think this is what I'm gonna do. And I went to my wife. I was like, hey, I was thinking about this. What do you think? I don't know. You know, I kind of had this thought, but that's crazy. So, you know, what do you think about this? And she was like, that would be big, but we should go for that. And our thought was, I'll sell stuff on like Facebook Marketplace and whatnot. And if I get any extra money at Christmas or whatever, I'll throw it in there. And, and when I do that, I'll take that money and, and we'll give it to that. And if there's any difference, my wife and I will make up the difference and we'll kind of, in our mind, we'll do this thing. 
And one Sunday, uh, a gentleman from Kingsway who I saw here for this service uh, comes up to me. He doesn't know any of this. And he hands me an envelope with a bunch of money in it. First of all, this is a terrible idea. Please do not do this. I'm serious. I literally went to the elders, the executive team. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I literally told him, like, I can't take this money. He's like, no, no, this isn't for you. This isn't for the church. He's like, Matt, I hear you tell the stories you tell. And he said, I want to help people the way that you help people, but I don't have those contacts. Would you be willing to take that money and use it to help them? I'm like, you don't understand. Guys like me end up in the news in bad ways for doing things like this. Like, this is not good for me or the church. And so we agreed and get the elders' blessing, like, only if I could be 100% accountable. And I'm telling you, please don't do this. Put the money in the offering. Okay, please don't do this. But he had in mind, he's like, Matt, I want to help somebody in this way. If you know anybody, this is what I want to help. And I said, I don't know anybody like that. And all of a sudden, I literally felt like the Holy Spirit said, I've been working on this for you. And I went, okay. I said, here's the thing. I got a story. I tell him the story. I said, what if we take this money and we use it on this vacation thing? He's like, great, do it. And by the way, if you need more, come back and tell me. So we took my money, put it with his money, and we sent it on to this family. I found out later that this family was going to be in Florida, uh, going to Orlando as part of their trip, and they were going to go down to another part of Florida and uh, to visit a distant family member they hadn't seen in a while. And um, I was just like, hey, I know a guy who has a house down there. Maybe I can get you in their house. I reached out. My friend here at Kingsway was like, absolutely. Let's put them up in the house. It'd be great. And then it didn't work out because their water heater broke and the place flooded with water. And he came back to me and said, what if instead of staying in the house, since I don't know if it's going to be done in time, what if I just give you $1,000 and they could stay wherever they want down there? And so he gave me a, a check and I just passed it on to them. And here's the point. Like, these are just Kingsway people that got this principle somewhere along the way and God has stirred in their hearts and he's given them resources. And so when they meet people where there's needs, they just go, yeah, what can I do? And I, throughout this series, will tell you stories of people donating their cars or paying people's rent or giving people food or whatever it is. And I'll just tell you stories. They're real people. You're sitting next to them. You might run into them at Kroger. You might even work with them, but you wouldn't know because they don't want me to stand on stage and say, oh, their name is... They just want to be sensitive to whatever God is doing in the world because they want to stand before him on the last day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So here's my last piece of wisdom today, and we're going to build on this throughout the series, but when you get more, just go ahead and assume it's not all for you. That's what the man in the story did wrong. When he got more, he just assumed it was all for him. What if the reason God gave him more was to help other people? And instead of tearing down his barns and building bigger ones, what if the whole reason God gave him more is so that he could become like a funnel, a bank, to bless other people? What if God blessed him to be a blessing to others? Remember, all of this started with Jesus being approached by a man who said, can you make my brother share the inheritance? And Jesus is like, no, watch out. Greed is at the door and it's going to destroy you. And the only way to fight it is to be rich toward God. So I don't know where this message lands, but I know this. We serve the most generous being the world has ever known. Remember that most famous passage in the entire Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. To that God, we want to stop and just take communion. Where did I put my communion?
Go ahead and grab that. If you didn't yet, they're right outside these doors. And what I'm gonna do is uh, I'm gonna start a prayer and then I'm gonna hand it to you. Since I know that every week we get visitors who may not know what the purpose of this is, let me just say it quickly. There are so many things I could unpack about this, but let me just make this quick. On the night of Jesus' arrest, he's sitting with the disciples at a meal and they're celebrating something called Passover. And there's multiple breads and multiple cups that are passed. But he stops and he breaks the bread and he hands it to the disciples. And he says, this is my body given for you. Now, they didn't know what he was talking about. Then he took a cup and he drank it and he passed it around to all the disciples. And he said, this is my blood that was given for you. Later, when Jesus would die on the cross, we understood that the bread represented his body and the juice represents his blood. And now when the church gathers every week, we never want to forget that our redemption, our life, our grace came to us through the gift of God's son. And so right now, as you take this bread and you take this juice, I just want to encourage you to take this as a moment to come into the presence of God. And this is the best place to be. See, if you're afraid of this moment, it's because you're afraid of punishment. You're afraid of judgment. And you have not yet come to a full experience of God's love. That comes right out of John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, I believe it is. That if we are afraid of God, it's because we have not fully experienced his love. Meaning, God isn't waiting to punish any of us. He's waiting to have a relationship with you because he loves you. He cares about you profoundly. So I'm gonna start a prayer and I'm gonna hand this to you. And if your heart maybe is bent towards greed and you're recognizing that, take this time to just give it back to God and say, God, would you change my heart? But no matter what, take this time to just thank God for being a generous God and giving his one and only son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being a good God. Not only, God, have you given us our families, which most of the time is good. (laughs) But you've given us our cars, our houses, our friends, our clothes, all of the fun toys we get to play with. You have been abundantly good and kind. But the greatest gift you gave us is Jesus. And the greatest gift Jesus gave us is the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you here in this place that we are blessed beyond measure. That God, even if we lose our job or lose our lives, we are confidently at peace with you. God, would you come and hear these prayers right now? For some of us, these are gonna be prayers of repentance, of getting right with you again. And for some of us, they're gonna be prayers of direction, asking you to direct our lives. And God, my prayer right now is that you would speak to each of us. In the same way that you laid on my heart this desire to bless my friend a year ago, God, right now, would you give us visions, dreams, ideas for things we could do in this world to make this world a better place. And then God, give us the courage to do it. We love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name.